If you are someone who is interested in the subject of ufology or the ET phenomenon, you've probably asked the question, when will disclosure about this reality actually happen? Well, what if disclosure has already happened and we just don't realize it yet? Author and ET UFO researcher Miguel Mendoza went in search to find out if that is actually the case. In his latest work, We Are the Disclosure, he compiled two volumes, interviewing some of the leading researchers, experiencers, and even archaeologists to learn from their perspective whether disclosure is already upon us. I had a chance to catch up once again with Miguel to learn what some of these individuals had to say and to find out where Miguel now stands on the disclosure question. Miguel, you published your last book, which I may say has done quite well, called Meet the Hybrids, along with Barbara Lamb, just last year, in fact. It was December, I think. And here you are, less than a year later, with not one, but two more volumes on the phenomenon of ET reality and the field of ufology. And that is your books, plural, We Are the Disclosure, 700 Years of Research on ET Human Interaction in Parts 1 and 2. Now, both volumes are chock full uh, of what I would call revelatory insights and opinions from some of the world's leading researchers in the field. And, you know, with that, I have to say, I was completely humbled and honored and surprised to be included in that list, uh, where I don't consider myself to be an expert in that league. I was so delighted that you gave me an opportunity uh, to weigh in from my perspective as an interviewer and researcher. So with that, thank you so much, Miguel. And we're so happy to have you back on Higher Journeys Radio once again. It's always a pleasure. Great. Well, you are nonstop. And I know as we speak, you are working on yet another book, but we're going <laughs> to, I want to make sure that the word gets out on these two uh, very uh, substantial volumes called We Are the Disclosure. And I want to talk about uh, some of these leading edge voices in the field that you brought out. I have to say, you really brought out the heavy hitters here. Would you mind giving us uh, a quick list of, or, or some of the highlights of some of the people that you interviewed just by name that people might know? Um, I guess some of the uh, main people from the field um, would be Stanton Friedman and Barbara Lamb, Mary Rodwell. Um, There's there's a a whole – the way I kind of approached it is that what I wanted to do was to – like having finished Meet the Hybrids, I had a really strong – sense by the end of that that the field in general is still heavily weighted towards the kind of material end of the spectrum the kind of technological political end of the spectrum that's where most of the kind of uh quote-unquote um standard or typical ufology um or ufological work has been done um, and I have a feeling that that is changing, but what I wanted to do is to try to, in book form, do a kind of overview of, you know, taking, uh, next year, 2017 as the, as a point in time, you know, looking at Roswell and thinking about, uh, that 70 year period um, I wanted to kind of do a 70-year summary, almost, of what is it that we've learned here? Um, what have we discovered um, from all of the different kind of aspects of this subject? And it seems to me that <clears throat> there's still a very strong focus on the kind of material end. But having worked with Barbara and uh, eight hybrids on uh, meet the hybrids i had a came to understand that we're actually f- much further down the road than i think people in general are understanding i mean if you i have a google alert set up for certain search terms like ufo and um hybrid and extraterrestrial things of that sort and every day it's dominated by uh tabloid articles on 
UFO sightings and the same headlines day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. It seems like it's really stuck. And I was talking about this with uh, Rosemary Allen Guiley a few days ago, who wrote um, the foreword to part one. Uh And um, she asked me, did I have an opinion on why it is that the field seems to be kind of stuck down that more kind of material end of that spectrum? And and I had a, a thought that had never crossed my mind before, which is that probably the field would be quite different if people in the field were really owning their experiences um, and... And if more of those kind of researchers were having experiences, I mean, I asked Stanton in this, uh, in the interview in this book, had he ever had an experience himself? And he said he had not. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So you have, you have to imagine if, and Richard Dolan, the last time I'd heard him talking about this, I'd not heard him suggesting that he was an experiencer. Mm-hmm. And you have to think that if, these kind of people who tend to dominate the conferences, dominate the discourse, um, if they were having experiences and were sharing them publicly, if they were disclosing their own experiences, you have to think that that would be shifting them. It would be shifting their narrative. It would be shifting their interest. Um, And that may be one route, but at the same time, There'll, I think there'll always be a division of labor. There'll always be people covering all of these different aspects of the subject, I would think, certainly prior to any kind of event that would lead the whole of humanity or, you know, let's say the sort of large percentage of humanity to really understand that this is a reality, that this is part of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I'm listening to you just said a, a mouthful there because uh, I think you're right. Um, a, a few thoughts come to mind. I'm thinking of a statement that Jim Mars, uh, who was also featured in, uh, I believe, part two of the book made in terms of uh, the question of um, where is this going? Where is this the, the broader subject of ufology going? And he said, somewhat surprisingly, well, maybe not, that it, he felt it to be somewhat stagnant, which kind of supports what you're saying when, when Rosemary Ellen Guiley asked you that question. Um, but the second point I wanted to make is I, I think you've hit on something very key. Now, obviously, you don't want to force, you know, those people like the Richard Dolans and the Stanton Fried- Friedmans, etc., to to disclose whether they've had an experience or not, if the answer is unequivocally no. But I see as well where you're going with this, that um, perhaps there are some people that are really covering the material end of it, the research end of it, and have had experiences maybe withdrawing or, you know, holding back on disclosing that, um, you know, that could move the needle in terms of the uh, the ultimate disclosure. But, you know, again, I, I really want to focus on that name. We are the disclosure, Miguel. That's a powerful title, meaning that, you know, there are a lot of people out there that are wondering when is it going to happen and how is it going to happen? But what you're basically saying in that title, 700 years of research on this phenomenon and, and experiences, because there are experiencers there, is that collectively we are the disclosure, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, to me, that's, that type of disclosure, the sort of bottom-up disclosure, the public disclosure, um, has been going on since day one. Um, if you if you take uh, forty seven as the kind of birth of the modern era, I'm sure there's people who dispute that because every single aspect of this is disputed. Um, it's a, one of the most highly contested fields I've I've ever seen, mm. and um, yeah, I think that um, for the most part, this this process has been bottom up. I think that with the kind of top down side of things, uh, Rebecca Hardcastle Wright, who is who basically completes part two 
of the book, you know, she's made the point in her paper, which is referenced in her chapter, that a lot of the, a lot of what we might term ufology has been <clears throat> informed in a very active way by the by government. Let's let's use that term broadly: um, military, the uh, intelligence services, um, and who knows who else. So, given that that's the case, they have been basically feeding an enormous amount of disinformation, misinformation into this field. Um, and in uh, Robbie Graham's book, Silver Screen Sources, he details the involvement of the government in uh, film and television um, productions around this subject and how they have had their voice uh, heard. Um, and what this tends to do is obviously muddy the waters in a very real way. It's very difficult for people to get a handle on this when the focus is on the material and people are, in our culture, they, they put their faith in the authorities to tell them what's real. That's right. Um, we have a kind of a very, uh, let's say, the arbiters of truth in our culture these days generally are more scientific than anything else. Um, I guess we've seen how from government, from religious institutions, from just about every aspect of our culture, particularly in view of everything that's come forward from whistleblowers, think WikiLeaks, Snowden, Manning, etc., etc., etc. We have seen just how many of these major institutions um, have been lying to us about all kinds of different things. And these are things that generally people understand to be happening, that there is, that we live in, I think the word of the year last or this year was post-truth. Really? And, I haven't yeah, heard I, that. I, ha <laughs> I, I believe so. I mean, huh. there's um, Ralph Keyes did a book, The Post-Truth Era. Uh -huh. um, it's so tough to figure out who is actually telling us the truth anymore or what that, what that word even means. I mean, it's a subject I am particularly fascinated with. Um, I did a novel um, on all these different aspects of truth, which is what led me into this subject, and we may have discussed that in our last interview. So this this issue of truth is muddier than it's ever been. I think it's as muddy as it's ever been, but we just have much more awareness right. at this point of how tough it is to actually get um, – you know, with all the kind of fake news out there, and if you up oh, there's you know, that there's that word <laughs> that that that's really the the phrase of the year or the word of the year is fake news. Not to cut you off, but you, you're obviously yeah. aware we're not going to go down that rabbit hole today. But obviously, that is a word that has become ubiquitous in uh, really both the mainstream as well as the alternative media for for reasons again that we're not going to go on uh, today. But well, you know, let's let's stay on this for a bit because this is a very interesting dynamic that I had mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily. Uh, felt that we would go down, but let's 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 go there for a minute. Now, you, what you're really kind of talking about, Miguel, is a question that you did pose to uh, the respondents, the interviewees in the book, and that's about do we do we feel that the subject has been suppressed? Now, I I went through every single. I think it was 27 people or 28. I, uh, I can't remember, can't recall. But every single one, in their own sort of uh, way of explaining it, was unequivocally, yes. And it was specifically, I believe, Stanton Friedman that, that went into some detail about the market uh, propaganda campaigns that have taken place uh, in order to keep it suppressed, the ridicule factor. These are actual programs that were devised and developed to dissuade the public from taking a, a really good look at uh, what's going on here. And, and, um, and so it, it's, they've done a brilliant job at that even to this day. Uh, but then you bring in the issue of people now 
having more resources than ever uh, in human history to find truth. And again, we think of truth as a singular thing. Um, I, I've always asked personally, maybe there are multiple truths, and maybe truth is for our own through our own eyes and our own experience. But so there's a lot that people are kind of grappling with now, uh, which is actually much bigger than the ET UFO phenomenon. So you're bringing up some really good points. So let's let's continue down that road for a minute. Please continue. Yeah, well, I think that what it comes down to is that the most authentic form of disclosure is is one person telling another what they've experienced yes but there is there is a deeper disclosure which is that's a whole that's a whole galaxy of conversation i mean that's a whole 10 hour conversation right there and and it's you who put your finger on that in a way that i actually i think i it's something that you said and I think I quoted it on just about the last page of the conclusion um, of this book, which is that the the biggest discovery in this field is that it is self-discovery. Mm-hmm. And I think that is where that is where it gets really interesting for me. I mean, for I mean, when when we go back to this issue of the material and technological and political and all of that, a lot of people need that. That's why I was talking about division of labor. You have to have the Stanton Freedmans, people who have that type of background, who can bring that kind of rigor and credibility to that uh, investigation. They've, they are familiar with at least, as far as humans are concerned, advanced uh, propulsion systems and things of that sort. Like he has got something to stand on. He is in a good place to begin to speculate about, you know, filling in some gaps in terms of what is reported, what has been declassified, what is coming through whistleblowers, witness testimony, etc. You've got to have people who do that work because that is the entry point for the vast majority of people who are coming at this from the outside. Mm-hmm. However, I think that where I guess that brings us back to this issue of the sort of stagnant nature of the field, that if that is where you remain saying, well, look, we've got the documents, come on, government, come on, president, come out and acknowledge this. Tell us that we're right. We're not crazy that this is real. Just put us out of our misery. But I think that as I was thinking about this whole business of, um, the pursuit of top-down disclosure. I, I got this phrase come to mind as I was writing an article um, for Gary Heseltine's UFO Truth magazine. Uh, Only a fool asks a liar for the truth. Mm. I mean, for real, you know, what would... Really, if you look at the material that comes from experiences, that comes from the hybrids, that comes from, like... Mary Rodwell, Barbara Lamb, people who are working for decades with experiences, um, where they're going with all of this is is kind of so far beyond that level. It's not about um, just trying to, uh, let's say, get clarification on whether or not a, a photo series from the 1950s was real or not. Um, I think what starts to happen, the looking at videos of lights in the sky, just it just has no real, it has no real appeal anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't help us learn anything. I think that that process of of coming together, um, groups of experiences or experiences working with. experience in this um people i think want to get deeper into this and they actually when they've gone through the fear stage um when they've understood better what it is that's that they're a part of um there tends to be it seems to me a kind of 
transformation that takes place. And this is described in Barbara's chapter in part one, Mary's chapter in part two, um, Ray Hernandez uh, details in part one many, many uh, statistics from Free's research study, their experience research study. And Free, uh, the website is experiencer. Experiencer.org. Uh, we're getting, we're, just so you know, Miguel, we're having a little bit of an issue getting, you're kind of fading in and out. So I just finished the uh, website for you. It's experiencer.org for, for everyone that is interested. Please continue. Let's see if we can get through this without too much cutting out. Sure. Um, yeah, so Free um, have, I, at least in the English language, they have surveyed over two and a half thousand experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think there's another one or two thousand uh, in the Spanish language. And what they're pulling together is some of the most fascinating data I've ever seen attached to this subject, because this is this is not speculative data. These are uh, anonymous individuals who are sharing over it's something like it's, i think the whole five phases is going to take about four years to move through i think they're on phase three possibly even phase four at this point so they have um incredible detail um as an experience myself um i'm participating in this so i'm taking a you know getting a good look at what this process is and what they're pulling out of this uh, is that, I mean, the key headline for me is that over 70, around 70% positive experiences and positive life transformations as a result, becoming less competitive and materialistic, more spiritual, loving, um, more focused on connection, um, nature. It's it's fascinating. And I would say that in there, you can see from that why this is a threat, why this gets closed down. That's right. I, yeah. Because the last thing that the powers that be want is for people to drop their fear of one another. I think, I think one of the most important things uh to in maintaining power is to foster dependency foster a kind of uh, infantilized culture and foster a culture of fear where people are constantly directing themselves back to the authorities for safety um to supply their needs etc cetera, etc cetera. and i think there's so many aspects of this subject that are offering us a not just it's not just technological i really see that as as a side issue what this is really offering us is a radically expanded view of reality itself and deeper than that uh what we are it's it's getting into our true nature that's right and mm -hmm. and that's um well, it's only going to be a couple of months until the new book is out, and that's what the new book is is getting into in, in much more depth mm -hmm. because that's where We Are the Disclosure took me was exactly to that line of yours. The biggest discovery here is that this is self-discovery. Right. Right. I want to I want to stop you there before because you're making so many good points and I'm I'm taking notes in my head. But I want to go back to once again a, a very poignant uh, a point that you made in terms of in, in drawing two points that you made really and drawing them together. And that is you know when we were talking about the whole idea of seeking truth and seeking uh, or being indoctrinated into looking to authority to deliver answers, deliver truth, deliver disclosure. Mm -hmm. um, and and yet, here we have, let's juxtapose this with this brilliant study that Free is uh, still conducting, uh, and, and the revelations that have come out therein, which show that the, the disclosure is amongst the, from an experiencer standpoint, as you know, in the book, this is what I spoke very, very uh, deeply to, is the experiencer part being the most powerful part. 
um, those are the truths that are coming out amongst us. Um, And implicit in that, as you just mentioned, the information that's coming out overwhelmingly is more of of a positive experience. Uh, That's not to say 100%, but overwhelmingly more so. So you got two kind of dynamics going on here. The very thing that still many people that are even so-called fans of this subject matter, uh, they're looking for an authoritative figure to say, yes, okay, here it is. It's This is a real thing. So we say so, and here we are. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got this uh, study going on and this information coming out that's essentially saying we don't need that those authorities anymore. I, I'm kind of dancing around this. I'm, I'm trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to bring it together, but there's just something very um, something very interesting about we're, we're seeing two dynamics kind of playing out, you know, sort of self-disclosure, self-discovery, and through that finding out that there this is a positive dynamic for the most part, at least that's what the data is showing. That's not to say that there haven't been some hellacious experiences because I've certainly mm. heard of them as well, mm. but... Uh, then you've got this this noose over here that the authorities are continuing to try to hold around people's necks to make sure they never discover that, that they never have a self-discovery or a self-epiphany. So yeah. somehow we're going to have to flush that out and realize that these authority, quote unquote authorities that we have been taught to look to for final truths are anything but... Um, we are the dis- hence the title. We are the disclosure. I think that's what yeah. we're really getting to. Yeah, I mean, it's there's, I don't know. The, this subject throws up more questions than answers perpetually, and one of them, one of them to me is, uh, and I don't know if I'll ever really have the time to study this, but. This whole subject does make me really curious about uh, human nature itself and why it is that people are so happy to buy the buy the the kind of official the official line. And from 2011, um, I've quoted in the book. Like I've put it in the introduction and the conclusion this uh statement from the white house i open up in the introduction and say well here's what they're saying and now i'm going to present you with 570 pages of testimony that turns that on its head and exposes that for the blatant laughable bs that it is and then after having gone through 570 pages of testimony, I quote it again, and I will quote it here. So this is from 2011. I think it was responding to a petition probably set up by uh, Stephen Bassett. It says, the US government has no evidence that any life exists outside our planet or that an extraterrestrial presence has contacted or engaged any member of the human race. In addition, there is no credible information to suggest that any evidence is being hidden from the public's eye. I go on to say this statement deals strictly in absolutes and is, in view of all the evidence, absolute BS. Evidently, they're still not ready to contribute to the process of integrating this knowledge in society. So this remains a duty for those of us called to it. And we need the full complement of skill sets and perspectives in order to explore this complex nebulous subject, which in every way challenges our human sense of limitation. It is showing us more of reality, more of our nature and more of our capabilities. Beautifully said. Can I ask you, Miguel, where are you getting the statements that the, the supposedly the government, this is the U.S. government speaking, that there has been no evidence of blah, blah, blah. Where is that coming from? Um, it was on the it was on the White House website at one point. Ah. Um, hmm. 
And yeah. in a, what context? That's an interesting thing. I'll have yeah, to look that was, up in what context um, did that come out? As I said, I, I think that there was a, a petition set up by Stephen Bassett. Oh, I see. Okay. That's yeah. where Stephen Bassett comes in. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he yeah. was, that was really their, their answer to his petition. Yeah, basically, um, hmm. he was saying, well, come on, just acknowledge this. I mean, we all know this. But that's the interesting thing. It's that kind of cognitive dissonance that people seem to just swerve around, i.e., this is completely um, steeped in, I mean, our whole whole culture is infused with this subject. I mean, I was, I was at the traffic lights the other day. I was, I was in the city. It was raining. It was miserable. And I was thinking, boy, I mean, this really is grounding, doing this. And I thought, but I wonder if I would ever really be able to step away from this subject. I wonder if I would be able to now rejoin the rejoin the human race, rejoin mainstream society and leave behind this whole subject and ignore it, pretend it's another thing. I wonder if I would be able to do that or be allowed to do that. And at that exact moment, I'm at a kind of crossroads and the traffic lights and the lights change and a van drives right past me. It's a telecommunications van and on it is written ET phone home. Oh, you've got, <laughs> I knew there would be something synchronistic. <laughs> I'm telling you, I Isn't mean, that something? That, that's that... the thing. It, it is just, it's just all around us all the time. It sure and is. yeah. I don't know. I think that in the work that I did in environment, I I see so many parallels between the two subjects. And I even thought about doing a book on this at some point. But one of the major parallels is that these are huge subjects which radically reorient our sense of reality. And they are huge threats to the status quo. I worked in uh, in sustainability, um, doing policy work around renewable energy, um, working with people around the world on trying to push forward with new or better renewable energy laws. And so I got a pretty good look at the level of resistance that exists to renewable energy, which is not an option it's not an option. It had to be done basically 40 years ago. Um, it, there was a, a guy, uh, a German MP, who was connected with our organization, was a council member, and he was one of the kind of architects of this German renewable energy law, which had basically helped to create a whole new industry in that in that uh, nation and it had been worth billions in terms of uh, jobs and exports and it had really helped them push towards a nuclear phase out I mean I mean it was absolutely revolutionary and he said that anybody opposing renewable energy is either stupid or corrupt um, I would add both um, it is so obvious. It's not even a question. It's like, here's, here's where we're going with fossil fuels. Here's what that does. This was understood in the 17th or 18th century. It's, it's not complicated chemistry to understand what it means to um, fire up ever more um, greenhouse gas emissions, particularly carbon dioxide. I think that's the first thing that they were studying. So it's clear you've got to get rid of it. You've got to replace it. And right there, I think you have this kind of nexus of this ET subject, whatever you want to call that, and sustainability. Right there, energy, you have, I would imagine, I, I don't know what the figures are, but it's it's up there with agriculture. I mean, these food and energy, these are, you know, two of the biggest industries um, there ever was or ever will be. And if you have if you have 
subjects like this that are a major threat to the status quo. I mean, look at, you know, weapons of mass destruction. I mean, the whole thing, look at the lies that are told. Look at what is done in the name of oil, the name of the status quo. You know, look at what's happened with banking, everything we've learned about banking, but all reform, it seems to me, has been rejected. So right there, you can see that even the things we absolutely have to do to guarantee our survival, we are not doing, because that would mean a major shift in the status quo, away from fossil fuels, all of those sunk investments worth an incalculable amount beyond trillions Mm -hmm. and nobody's ready to do that and if you look at the way particularly the u.s case and the the staggering percentage i don't have the figures in front of me but the percentage of people who go from uh public service um congressmen senators who then go on to sit on corporate boards and Basically, the average increase in salary, I think, is over 2000 percent. And there, there is just this revolving door uh-huh. situation between government and business. And in that and then you they're have synonymous. Whole, I'm sorry, they're synonymous. Let's let's be clear there. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and then and then you bring into that um, the funding of um, uh, elections. And look at all of the work that's been done, everything that's been pushed, particularly look at the work of uh, Lawrence Lessig, um, Harvard law professor, I believe, who has trying to, been trying to push this. Many, many other people have around the world trying to find ways that we can get government to actually work and in effectively deliver a decision-making mechanism that is actually going to do what we're told now it already does. But anybody with any kind of common sense can see it does not do. It is so corrupt, corrupt to the point of we, those guys are choosing by action and inaction to wipe out life as we know it on this planet. That is a fact that is happening right now. In fact, I read this morning that, um, Bill Gates and a bunch of other folks, uber rich types, are putting $170 billion into uh, clean energy projects to deal with this. I mean, talk about after the horse has bolted. I mean, if you look at the data on greenhouse gas emissions, on sea level rise, on warming all over the world, all of those uh, dynamics. And then you, and then you look at what has been done to try and deal with it up to this point. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. Mm -hmm. It is, it is such madness. And I'll say this, that the longer I spend doing this work, um, the more experiences I meet, the more star seeds, hybrids, however people identify those with, a greater connection to the beings, whatever we want to call those guys. Um, I see, I mean, it seems counterintuitive for most people, but I see so much sanity in those stories in what I hear from people in terms of the kinds of experiences, what they do for people and what the kind of, what kind of values underpin that the Mm -hmm. values of the beings themselves Mm -hmm. all of that stuff Uh, and the more i see of that the more i just baffled i am by human behavior absolutely i'm glad you i'm glad you brought that back to center because i i kind of knew where you were going in terms of really illuminating the the absolute disgust uh, of our 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 institutions and systems or, or how disgusting they are and have been um and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Miguel, that when you start to get a bit of, of knowledge and the anecdotes, as I've spoken so often about, of these uh, so-called experiencers from whatever perspective they're coming from, and uh, as you said, the star seeds, the new children, Mary Rodwell's new human uh, sort of profile, um, the, there is a very, very synchronous tone that is being sung, and that is... Uh, this is about love. This is about altruism. This is about 
um, getting the rest of the planet to wake up to who they really are, juxtapose that with it, its exact opposite. And yes, we're talking about a group of people, uh, th- those being um, the experiencers, et cetera, that are seen as opposed to complete insanity. So there's there's a very interesting dynamic going on, and I call it, as I've said many, many times, the dichotomy of consciousness and the precipice of change. We are at a precipice point, and we could go, again, down a whole nother rabbit hole with that in terms of, you know, the why. Uh, is, is there some significance, some broader perspective that is meant to help us having both the uh, – the, the bad guy and the good guy, if you will, just to c- completely simplify it and something that it perhaps is meant to come out of that, you know, if we're all characters in this play. So, yeah, um, there's there's a lot to chew on here. Mm. I, wanted, I want to, uh, we've got about 20 minutes left and I do want to, and I thank you for that because it's, it's many, some people may feel, okay, well, how was that relevant? But I think you brought that neatly back together with, again, this is about an ultimate juxtaposition of, you know, a foot, you know, two worlds sort of coexisting on the same planet, you know, and how, how bifurcated they are and how, what's going to, what ultimately is going to be the result here? Are they going to win or, or will this, you know, phenomenon that we're looking at become so prevalent and irrefutable that it will be the dominant, um, you know, uh, reality as, as a part of the spectrum of reality. And that, Mm. speaking of which I want to, I want to make a comment in that regard, something that Alfred Weber said, who was also uh, in the book part two, that's Alfred Labramont Weber. He said, and I'm somewhat paraphrasing, he thinks that getting back to the effect of disclosure, because that was one of the questions that you asked, what, what would the effect be? It will include an annihilation of duality consciousness and a complete shift from third density to what he says, fourth slash fifth density. And those are kind of in my words. But, you know, um, assuming that there is this sort of acute or ultimate transition that will one day occur in which there is an unequivocal knowing that disclosure has arrived by whatever means. Some people feel that all the things that you've been kind of getting into passionately, you know, against the the, the insanity that's going on will be annihilated, uh, you know, and essentially the polarizations that have reigned supreme in, in human behavior will be annihilated. Um, this is where perhaps as a result of disclosure, we will make that transition into a, a, a finer. I don't like to. I don't like to think hierarchically of a higher vibration, but a more intense uh, frequency or density. Many call it the fifth and even beyond. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that is is one of the most frustrating things. Um, you know, as somebody thinks about this, you know, and explores this subject through as many different lenses as possible and comes from an environmental background. You know, I I was hoping that this was going to be just that, that this subject, if we could bring this to the conscious awareness of the vast majority of people on this planet, that we could have this, finally, this enlightenment that would exist here, that we would understand materialism for what it really is, you know, which is... And no through road. I mean, there's, it's a dead end. There's only there's only so far you can get. And in a sense, the whole kind of material, the whole purpose of the third dimension may be just that, that that is ultimately the lesson we are all incarnating here together to learn. I mean, you have somebody like Trump. Maybe you get Trump's incarnating to help the rest of us really learn that lesson well. Mm, I'm so glad you you brought that up. I just did a show with Penny Pierce in that same identical vein that, and and not to, to, to digress too much, but that's a brilliant point. I'm so glad you hit on it that in many people's eyes, look, I mean, there are people that feel that this is a brilliant move and it's going to, we're going to be the better for it. That's not the point. The point is that this, this image, this archetype that we call uh, somewhat narcissistic at at al uh, um, pompous among other things it could be sort of a, a, the uh, how, how would I put it 
the opportunity for us to ultimately see what this third density is really about and bring it up in our, and recognize it in ourselves in order for it to be cleared. So this might be one of those, you know, I called the, this, this particular episode the Trump factor, a factor that will be needed as well in order for us to move through it into or out of 3D as we know it, as it's been so mm. grossly uh, been represented. But it's hard to imagine, though, frankly, because the world we have, you know, looking at it from one perspective, you could say that the world we have is the sum total of absolutely everything that's ever happened here, for better or for worse, good or bad, um, selfish or selfless, absolutely everything that everybody has ever done has given us this world. And you, it's very difficult for me personally to look at the state of things and not say, well, it's just getting worse all the time. It's getting crazier and crazier with every passing year. I mean, in my life, 43 years, you know, when I was, oh, let's say, you know, somewhere in the 90s, there really was a feeling of, uh, I left school the year the Berlin Wall collapsed. Mm. Collapsed. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) so there was a sense of hope of optimism even though we still had you know a wretched right-wing government um there was a sense that wow huge shifts really can take place on this planet um but here we are in the year 2016 as of this discussion and and we're staring down the barrel of president trump I mean, that's that's real. You know, we have people talk about parallel universes and all of that and everything is happening simultaneously and every version of absolutely everything is happening an infinite number of times. But yet somehow you and I seem to have incarnated in a reality where we get President Trump. <laughs> and and it's just it's, it's something. It is. I mean, it and, is. That, and that's following Brexit. Yeah. yeah. So well, two cases in one year where the politics of fear and prejudice and division and hate and ignorance have triumphed you know i i don't i used to think well i'm just going to leave my politics out of things but why the hell should i you know nobody else does you know i do not think for one second that the answer to the world's problems right now is more hate and fear and prejudice. Anybody who's trying to make that argument, I I would love to hear exactly. It's like trying to put out a fire with petrol. Mm, Do you know what I mean? It's never going to happen. And, you know, look, this is definitely now we're getting into the juicy part uh, as we're winding down, but I'm going to make one, one just sort of in my humble opinion uh, comment you know, again, I, yes, very perplexing to me that this has occurred uh, for a number of reasons. And, and, and where does this, what does this stand for, even metaphysically for, for us? What does this mean? I don't know that uh, this is what we think it is. This might be, we now obviously we're all speculating as to, you know, sort of we, we've already sort of drawn conclusions, those of us that feel like yourself, as to what this is going to be, what the next four years, at least here in the States, and of course it's going to be reverberating effects globally, uh, undoubtedly, what this will look like. A lot of people have drawn that word picture already. And yet, Miguel, somehow I feel, and this is c- completely intuitive or instinctual, that this person, this individual that has been uh, assigned, some people feel that he was selected and not elected, um, is somewhat of a, of a metaphor of a transition point. I don't know what's on the other side of that, but I do believe that this is somehow an acceleration of getting to that precipice. You know, again, we as humans, we are we have this tendency to look at things as either all bad or either all good without looking at it being right as the right brain would say, hmm, this is interesting. (laughs) And maybe 
I don't know. I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit. Maybe we need to now. And again, I'm not putting, I'm not putting it, placing emphasis on him, but rather the role that he may need to play in order to get us through the ultimate tumult to get on the other side of it. Mm. So I have, uh, I don't know what this signifies. I, I happen to think that any, any time that there is a major uh, shift, paradigm shift or otherwise, or, or event that happens, it's designed to do something on a bigger level. There is something that's undergirding all things, frankly. And mm. so this may just be, uh, no matter what it looks like, it could very well be uh, the the surest point to ushering in the transition of what whatever that mm. is. So it's going to be I, I, like I like I said, it's going to be interesting. I'm not going to say one way or the other, and <laughs> you know. Uh, I don't know I, though. I mean, I think that we we. This is why you know I I. I think it's important for us to look at history and we, you could maybe say the same of Bush, either Bush, particularly Bush Jr. And well, which is really, you know, the uh, Cheney Rumsfeld administration. We did not get a better world as a result. You know, we, we did not, you know, people in, so he was actually speaking at a conference uh, that I went to in DC, I think it was 2008. And I just, I refused to go until he'd left the building. I mean, you know, at a renewable energy conference. And do you know what he did? He came out and he advocated nuclear power. Hmm. That is why he showed his face. Hmm. That's the level of cynicism that exists from these type of people. We didn't get a better world because of that kind of right wing lunacy. It, I don't, I don't, it just, it, uh. so what this kind of, what this kind of takes me back to, you have to kind of pull out and look at this kind of more kind of mm, cosmological picture, whatever you want to call it. And, and think about the kind of cosmologies that are drawn by the hybrids, by Alfred Lambermont Weber, by Michael Cremo in part one, where he's talking about the ancient Sanskrit writings, the uh, the Vedic cosmology, that type of cosmology, and uh, the cosmology of almost anybody that I speak to who is kind of more deeply immersed in this, mm-hmm. uh, just about everybody has uh, variations of this idea that all existence is about experience, that ultimately there is nothing to be attached to, that it's attachment that is giving me the emotionality around the subject of good governance, governance, sustainability, ethics, those type of things. The emotionality comes out of the kind of construction that I am as a person. And that may be because that's what I chose. I chose to come in and experience this. The Trumps of this world incarnate to help me with that. Right. So whether you are for or against anything at all, like two boxers, uh, two armies, they are causing, they are getting, they're getting together to cause each other damage. But you know what? They are actually colleagues. I mean, literally, you know, two football teams. I mean, you might have all of the fans that are there to sing and chant and insult each other, but they're all colleagues. Mm -hmm. They are all actually working together. Mm -hmm. Even if it's in opposition, it's opposition from one perspective and it's collaboration and cooperation from another. And so if if the purpose of the third dimension is to experience everything that goes with that, everything that goes with a kind of dense physical body that, and, you know, we have these kind of fragile minds and bodies and hearts that we're just trying to get through each and every day. Mm-hmm. And that makes us very vulnerable. And that makes us behave in certain ways. And, 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 I mean, this, and that, but that's that's what is down this road. Right. So I go back to the first the first point, which is that that's where I see 
the value of this subject truly is getting to that kind of stage where when you're able to have those kind of conversations, you are then able to see yourself and your relations and all your expressions very, very differently and those of other people. And you can live and operate in a very different state of awareness. You can have a very different kind of experience, a more aware, conscious kind of experience. Whereas if this subject is just permanently orbiting Roswell, did it happen? Didn't it happen? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and those cases, then you never get to that place. And to me, that is why there is a need for We Are The Disclosure. That's why I wanted to create this project. I wanted to pull together all of these people and we've barely barely scratched the surface of who's in this book and what they've talked about. But I was trying to really open up this subject and understand as much as possible about what is available to us. Because to me, that that's the million dollar question. Like when I was doing policy work, the whole, if you're going to have that conversation about your research with anybody else, you've got to have a sales pitch. Mm -hmm. You've got to be able to go to them and say, this is why you should care about this. This is what's in it for you. And so in We Are The Disclosure, I went after that in the interviews. What is the value to society of this subject? Mm -hmm. You sure did. You asked, you, you had some beautiful questions. I would, and, and here's something I'm going to put you on the spot, if I may. I would love to be able, obviously, I'm not going to publish the book uh, publicly on my website, but I would love to list the questions that you asked, because for those that haven't seen the book, it may not be what you expect. Some that you might, and some you might not. So if, if with your permission, Miguel Mendonca, I would love to be able to list at least the questions. And I guarantee you, audience, once you uh, see what the, the, the variety of answers that you get, and, and a lot of the, the common threads, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. So if I can do that, that would be great. Yeah, okay. go for your life. I mean, uh, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm just happy to... I'm just happy it's done. I'm staggered that it's done, frankly. You know, it's, uh, I'm amazed that all of that got done in eight months, you know, nine months. When I look, when I look at it now, I just think, oh my God, what was I thinking? Yeah, yeah. You really did a stellar job. I have to tell you, not one book, but two. Since last December, because I believe yeah. The Hybrids was published in December. Do you know what? I, I've got to say this. Do you know today, as you and I are having this discussion, it's the, it is the one-year anniversary oh. today of the publication of Meet the Hybrids. Isn't that something? No accidents. Yeah. E.T. Yeah, e. phone home. <laughs> <laughs> Miguel, tell us where we can get We Are the Disclosure before we close out. Yeah, people can find uh, all my books on Amazon. Um Every Amazon site worldwide, I think, has them. Excellent. And we'll make sure to have a link to that as well. And as, as a matter of fact, you also have a website called aptly, wearethedisclosure.com, right? That's it. Yep. Excellent. So, folks, I encourage you to get this book. I, this is the season for giving, right? Let's give the gift of disclosure. I say pick up We Are the Disclosure Parts 1 and 2. You'll really enjoy it. And uh, as we always enjoy having you, Miguel. So we thank you. Keep up the vigilance. Keep up the work. Keep up the journey. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. And you too, Alexis. I mean, that's why I was so happy to, you know, draw you into this book. Um, because when you and I talk, you know, oh, my God, it's like hours every time. So I know how much you have to say. And I really think readers are going to value it. Awesome. I certainly do. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. And happy holidays. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Take care now. Take care, everyone. Well, this conversation definitely took on a life of its own. You know, prior to every show that I do, I ask in silence that the conversation go exactly where it needs to go in order for it to be of value to those who are listening. With that, I let it go and let it unfold. Well, needless to say, Miguel really let his passion drive us down a road that, although may not have been strictly about disclosure, it was about truth. Finding truth for ourselves 
without the need to have it handed to us from our so-called authorities. With that, disclosure, as we imagine it to be, may never happen, and maybe it doesn't need to. Because after all, when it comes down to it, we are the disclosure. Let's start to embrace that and finally usher in a new reality that puts us in the driver's seat. As always, I thank you for tuning in to Higher Journeys Radio. Until next time, I'm your host, Alexis Brooks.